the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Thanks for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday. It is the seventh morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and we really appreciate you being with us. We are uh, pretty much packed this morning. Uh, actually, not, I shouldn't say that. Packed later this morning. We are packed later this morning. Uh, here's what we've got. We've got uh, a full hour of open phone lines for you. Uh, not open, because I want you to stay on topic, but full hour of no guests in hour number one. Then at 10.10, that's when it starts. Dr. Everett Piper is with us for our thoughts on a lot of very important issues uh, going on uh, around the country within our culture and within our faith community. That's coming up at uh, 1010, as he always is. At 1035, we dive back into the Ohio Senate race with Steve Cortez. Steve Cortez, of course, a former Trump advisor also, Steve Cortez, former CNN correspondent, is in the camp of J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance, according to a new poll conducted by J.D. Vance, or his organization, says that he has pulled into a statistical tie with Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel atop this uh, Senate uh, um, primary field. So Steve Cortez is going to tell us why he's in Camp Vance at 1035. And then at 11.10, a story I kind of just teased about yesterday, but I decided not to cover. I wanted her to tell the whole story herself. And that is the story of uh, one of the most renowned and well-respected medical organizations in the country. Rated that way year after year after year. Right here in our backyard, Cleveland Clinic, willing to let her son die because her husband, the boy's father, isn't vaccinated. I was gonna let I was gonna get into it yesterday and kind of preview, and I I'm kind of not. I'm kind of not going to do that. I didn't do it yesterday, and I'm not going to do it now. You're going to want to hear uh, the conversation that I have at 1110 with Jennifer Donaldson, and she will tell you all about this horrific, horrific story. But yes, 
COVID tyranny lives, and it lives on in Cleveland Clinic. Well, they refuse to save a boy's life because dad isn't vaccinated. All right? So that's coming up in the third hour of the program. That's a long while from now, so I understand. But um, seriously, uh, be here for that. Be here. Even if you've got to depart for a little while, I prefer you stick for the entire thing, but if you've got to depart for a little while, make sure you're back in time for Jennifer Donaldson to hear this heart-wrenching and infuriating story of COVID tyranny gone just absolutely wild at run amok. So that's coming up at 1110. So Dr. Piper at 1010, Steve Cortez at 1035, Jennifer at 1110. Our number one is your best shot at getting on the radio today if you wanted to get on live. Uh, that's how you do it. You just dial 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Now, why did I emphasize live? Because you can always get on on the recorded version. All you got to do is go to alwayswrite.us, the companion. And by the way, on alwaysrate.us, I was about to remind you, of course, that you can uh, click the um, uh, click the uh, sound off button on Always Right in order to leave your message for me, and uh, it'll be broadcast right here on the air. Uh, so do that. But I was going to say, there is a story, if you do want to tease, or a little bit more, about the story that I just told you about uh, on Cleveland Clinic uh, and the father. Uh, that story is the lead story right now on alwaysrite.us. You can check it and read it for yourself. By the way, another uh, couple of other lead stories before we get into the pledge and the news of the day. Uh, a few of the headlines on alwayswrite.us. Palm Springs, California has decided they're going to give reparations to their residents. Which residents? You probably think it's going to be African American, right? Because that's what you think of when you hear the word reparations. That's what Black Lives Matter and other activists have been demanding, that modern Americans pay money uh, let me rephrase. Modern American white people, present-day white people, pay money to present-day black people for uh, crimes that they never committed and to people who were never victimized. That's what it comes down to. Well, yeah, but your ancestors did bad stuff to my ancestors, therefore you pay me. No, no, that's not how it works. Palm Springs isn't paying reparations to black people. Palm Springs has pledged to pay $900 a month in what they're calling UBI, Universal Basic Income, to transgender people and non-binary residents. Wait, what? Yup. They are paying money to people who say they are trans, no questions asked. And I got to tell you, if I was living in Palm Springs... It just might be enough for me to go ahead and declare my new identity, at least in time to collect my check each month. I may go back to my regular ways, but for for a day for for an hour to collect my check each month, my nine hundred bucks. Uh, who knows? Uh, who knows what I might be tempted to do? Right? I say that tongue in cheek, of course, but this is this is a legitimate thing. They are giving money away to people who are trans and non-binary just because, according to the mayor of that city, well, they have hard lives. You know, it's hard to be trans and non-binary, and it's hard to get jobs and all of that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, it's really difficult for them. So we're just going to give them money just for saying that they are transgender or they don't know what gender they are. Non-binary just means I'm something other than one of the two binary choices. I don't know what it is yet. I haven't decided. But it's something. It's definitely something. I'm non-gendered at all. I'm I'm gender non-conforming. I am spirit. I am wind. I am animal. I am. <laughs> they can. Make, I can keep going because they've got like 97 different 
uh, different things that they, they say they can be. But the reality of the situation is that if you just say you're a trans or non- non-binary, you get the cash. So there you have it. Uh, other uh, top stories on alwayswrite.us right now, just briefly. Governor Abbott, and this is going to be our lead story in a moment, is taking a huge, huge, huge step toward informing Washington of what the people in Texas and other border states are enduring down there because of Brandon and Kamala's non-border security. That's coming up. Akron Children's Hospital is facing a class action lawsuit from 66 fired workers who were denied exemptions based on their religious beliefs uh, from the mandatory jabs. That's long overdue, and I hope they destroy Akron Children's Hospital for that. And I don't mean destroy the hospital quite literally. I mean, I hope they make out uh, and collect tons of money from that hospital. Uh, The governor of Kentucky has vetoed a transgender girls sports ban, which means, sorry, Kentucky girls, you're going to have to compete against the boys. As long as the boys say, no, really, I swear, I'm one of you. Jim Renacci uh, going after Governor Mike DeWine, thank goodness, saying he ignored warnings of corruption and asks, what else did DeWine know about First Energy and the corruption in the governor's office? Florida State Representative Randy Fine wants to make it a felony, felony child abuse to drug and mutilate kids, which would sound sensible. Yeah, that should be a, uh, a felony. But we're talking about parents who drug up their young children who tell them that they are something other than what their biological sex is, and then they go ahead and start drugging, drugging and scheduling surgeries for them. Should be felonious. And finally, Black Lives Matter? We know that they're influential. But did you know that, according to this report in the Ohio Star, they're calling the shots on social media censorship. I kind of always thought that was done in Silicon Valley, but apparently it may be done at BLM headquarters. So we got those stories all up for you right now at uh, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. All right, we'll give you a little more in-depth on the elite story of the day right after we ask you to rise, patriots, and face your flag. If you have one, if you don't, that's all right. If you would, please put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you believe in COVID tyranny, if you believe that parents should be denied life-saving procedures, if you will, for their children because they're not vaccinated, if you believe in paying people to say that they are something that is outside of their own body or something that does not match with their own gender and their own sex, if you believe in any of that nonsense, then you don't believe in America, so you are exempted. You have an exemption from the pledge. Go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback instead. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so I did want to lead with that story as noted. Um, This is just wonderful. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who's residents in the state of texas are suffering more than anybody because that is easily and arizona is not terribly far behind new mexico california less so but texas is the hub uh for the border crossings that have just gotten out of control and they've gotten out of they started getting out of control on january 20th of 2021 the day Joe Biden was sworn into office and immediately signed an order stopping construction of the border wall. He immediately signed an order surrendering American sovereignty. 
It may not have said that in the order, but that is exactly what it did. That was the practical effect of Joe Brandon's uh, border policy decisions. And right now, we had a record 2 million-plus people cross into this country illegally last year. They were given uh, a wink and a nod saying, enjoy your time here in the United States. By the way, come back someday, and we'll uh, find out whether or not you're allowed to be here. Uh, And it's only getting worse now, as you know. With the lifting of Title 42, the Trump-era restriction uh, that was intended, essentially, to try to fight back against the pandemic by not allowing people who may be infected to come into the United States and spread it. Well, now they say, well, COVID is under control, even though they still mandate masking in schools and on airplanes. But they say COVID is under control now, so we can lift that. Um, And so they're lifting that. And that is going to raise the number of border crosser encounters from an estimate right now of 7,500 per day, which, by the way, is just not even close to being sustainable for this country. It just can't be. I mean, we will be splitting... Uh, you know, bursting at the seams, rather, if we continue to allow that many to come in. 7,500 a day. But when Title 42 is ended in um, uh, at the end of May, the experts say that that number is going to jump to 18,000 encounters a day. And those are just the encounters. They don't count the gotaways. Where overmatched and outnumbered Border Patrol agents try to chase people. And they can't get them. And they just... Phew, Fly into the United, not literally fly, but just, you know, uh, obviously race into the United States and, and hide themselves among the population. And away we go. So Governor Greg Abbott knows that the people who are suffering the most here is, are the border states like his, the state of Texas. So what he did yesterday was he made an announcement that here, there is an order from the governor's office that undocumented migrants who are allowed to come into the United States, otherwise known as illegal aliens... I'm reading the Fox version here. They said undocumented migrants. Let's call it what it is. Illegal aliens released into his state will be rounded up and put on buses and delivered directly to the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Using the Capitol as a border checkpoint as they struggle to uh, manage the flow of people coming into the United States, he wants to lay the problem literally at the feet of the Democrats who are making it all happen. I suppose he could do it at the steps of the White House, which is where you know Kamala Harris and um, uh, Joe Biden reign supreme, or at the Oval Office, but you can't get close enough there, I guess. And maybe you can get up at least to the barricades at the Capitol, but to say, here you go. Why should Texas deal with all of these people? Why should Texas be the only You're making it happen. You are making the decisions here in Washington. So here you go. The state will provide charter buses to drop off migrants, many released into small Texas communities that officials say are overwhelmed in Washington. We are sending them to the U.S. Capitol, where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. He said that cities along the Texas-Mexico border have bused migrants to San Antonio, And Abbott said, so I've got a better idea. As opposed to busing people to San Antonio, let's continue the ride all the way to Washington, D.C. And to that, I say, can you dig it? You darn skippy, I can dig that. Something needs to be done. Even though this is symbolic and it's a show, it's a show that needs to be done. It should be covered by the press. It should be on 24-7 News. It should be busloads of illegal aliens dropped off for Nancy Pelosi to deal with. Dropped off for every leftist in this country who believes in open borders. And you know what? 
The next step, don't stop at the Capitol building. Take them to Nancy's house, both the one in D.C. and the one in San Francisco. Take them to Brandon's neighborhood in Delaware, because he spends so much time in Delaware, more than he does in the Oval Office, which may be a good thing, because he can do less harm there. But take them to the neighborhoods where these people live. They're the ones saying, let them in, bring them all in, by the thousands, by the millions, let them in. I agree. Let them in and put them at your doorstep. And by the way, if somebody and tries to come into your house and says to you, what the heck is this? What's this locked for? You don't get to say, well, because this is private property. You can't just come in here anytime you please. You can't do that, can you, Brandon? You can't do that, can you, Kami? Kamala Harris, of course. You can't do that because you're saying that they can... In fact, they don't even need to knock. They just come on through the open door at our southern border. No questions asked. So if you're willing to do that with us, with our country, then let's, let's put your, put your uh, home where your mouth is. Open the door. Let, let impoverished, desperate people who came here seeking refuge and asylum from other countries, let them into your home. Feed them. Clothe them. House them. And complain not. It's 923. Job, Governor Abbott. Very impressed. Let's see how this plays out. 923. Always Right Radio on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 926. We're going to get to uh, phone calls after the bottom of the hour news. I just wanted to to drop drop this on you real quick. Um, I got a text message this morning. Uh, from uh, David Arredondo, who is the Lorain County GOP chair. And Lorain County is my home county, by the way. And uh, just a quick note, just an FYI, Joe Blystone is visiting Lorain County for a campaign stop. Or did just apparently visit Lorain County. Sorry, I thought this was coming up today. Let me double-check it now. I guess he, oh, he did. He already did. This was yesterday. Okay. And that's too bad, because if he, was, if he was still in the area, I would have had a lot more to say on the radio in case he had it turned on, and I could tell him what I thought of what he is doing right now to harm the people of Ohio. But I did tell Arredondo what I thought of that, because David is among the state central committee members who supports Mike DeWine for re-election. David is one of those who believes that the only thing that matters if you are in, uh, you know, county government or excuse me, in uh, state central committee leader- leadership and you are leaders of county parties is winning the races. That's all that matters. Just as long as we win, we win. Yeah, I'm all about winning. That's what he said. Just like Trump. It's just all about winning. Because I responded that Blystone is in town or when he said Blystone is in town. I said, make sure you greet him with open arms because he's the only thing keeping your pathetic governor in the race for reelection. David didn't like that. David didn't agree with that. David said, you know, some polls say he's ahead of Renacy. Maybe Renacy should drop out and give him the one-on-one with the governor, which is comical because Joe Blystone is probably going to end up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines for campaign finance law violations. He was turned in by his own campaign chair, co-chair. Because she was working very hard for him and then was finding out that all of this money was coming in and it was not being tracked. All kinds of illegal contributions over the $100 limit were coming in, uh, in cash, that is, over the $100 cash uh, donation limit. And he was just telling them, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. She blew the whistle on him. 
before leaving the campaign because she was so disgusted. The guy has to pay back at least 101000 probably another 130000 and that's before the fines come into play. Joe Blystone is not a, camp- a candidate. Joe Blystone is a circus act. Joe Blystone doesn't want the people of Ohio to be served by a true conservative. Joe Blystone is guaranteeing Mike DeWine's reelection by staying in this race. The latest poll shows Jim Renacci destroying DeWine and Blystone 46 to 30 to 20. It's if it's a one-on-one, Mike DeWine loses handily to Jim Renacci. Meanwhile, Blystone, if he wanted that one-on-one, first of all, he wouldn't be cheating in the campaign finance world, which is what the allegations are. Secondly, and investigations. And secondly, he wouldn't say things like, what do I know about running a campaign? I'm a farmer. Well, you're right. So what do you know about running a state? You're a farmer. Stop the, stop the, the circus act. But at any rate, I told uh, Mr. Arredondo this morning that all... Blystone is doing is splitting that anti-DeWine voting, guaranteeing that DeWine wins the primary. And that's why he and the other state central committee members who voted uh, to endorse DeWine love Blystone. They want him in. They want him in because they know that a three-way race is the only way Mike DeWine is guaranteed to win the primary and uh, and potentially re-election. So I'm just telling it the way that it is. And I told David this, and I'll say it on the radio. The entire ORP and those rhinos, like David, who are still in the SCC, the state central committee, um, are destroying the state of Ohio. When you openly support a failure of a governor like Mike DeWine, this isn't about winning. You're not winning. You're hurting. You're losing, and you're hurting the people and the voters and and, and the, 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 the residents of the state of Ohio, no matter what the outcome of the election is. You know, and he said, well, in case you don't know, Ohio is almost totally red, and Lorain County will be soon also. And I told him this, and I was saying on the radio, Ohio's not red. It might have a majority of Republicans, but when those Republicans act like Democrats, it's ostensibly blue. Mike DeWine is a Democrat. Mike DeWine, why do you think Mike DeWine turned over control of the state to a Democrat abortion provider during COVID? He picked Amy Acton to set policy and proceeded to destroy Thousands and thousands and thousands of businesses and tens and tens of thousands of jobs with his ridiculous antics and her ridiculous antics. How do you support that? So like I told uh, David this morning, these these people in the state central committee and in the county uh, uh, um, GOP leadership positions think that winning elections means everything is all right. That you're doing a great job, but it's not all right when you elect the wrong people. You're doing the citizens of Ohio no favors. You're doing nothing to help conservatives in the state of Ohio. You're simply guaranteeing your own job security by bending the knee to Mike DeWine. Politics isn't about scoreboards and winning games. It should be about serving the people. And this pathetic governor, as I said to him, destroyed the state for the last two years. And you think that as long as you're on the winning side, you just pat yourself on the back and say, we're doing a good job. Look, we won. What did you win? What did you win when you put a Democrat governor acting as a Republican in power? What did you win? You didn't win anything. You're not helping Ohio. You're hurting it. But you are guaranteeing your position as a chair and as a member of the state central committee. Woo! Congratulations. Way to put your own self-interest, state central committee above the people of Ohio. I've got more to say on that, but it's news time now. Always right radio.
is upside down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer 939 indeed always right radio thanks for being with us got open lines now at 216-901-0945 or actually there's one open line the rest of them are filled up. 888-281-1110. If you want to get in, do it now. We've got guests coming up at 10.10, 10.35, and 11.10 this morning. Back to the immigration issue that I started to show with, what Governor Greg Abbott is doing, sending uh, illegal aliens in uh, Texas to Washington, D.C. on buses to deposit them right there at the uh, doorstep of Nancy Pelosi and uh, the rest of the leftists on Capitol Hill. Here's Part B of the immigration story. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, otherwise known as Madam Circleback, sometimes known as Peppermint Patty, and when you see them side by side, you'll know why. Uh, Jen Psaki confirmed yesterday, Part B, it's Obamaphone 2.0. Obamaphone, you remember (laughs) President Obama's initiative to give taxpayer-funded free cell phones, smartphones, to people... Um, in certain areas and segments of the population who are impoverished uh, and who can't afford their own cell phones, giving them Obama phones. It became a huge, huge scandalous story, quite frankly. Well, here's the new version. Under Brandon, President Joe Brandon, they're giving away Biden phones to the illegal aliens as they catch them and then process them and tell them, uh, okay, you can go wherever you want to go now throughout the country. And here's the phone. you got to take this phone with you, you see. We have to use this phone to be able to track you, you see. And when we call you to tell you you've got to come back for your asylum hearing, you better answer. You see, it's, it's, it's our way of making sure that you're being accountable and responsible. <laughs> I don't know how much money it's going to cost to give free phones to 18,000 illegal border crossers a day which is what the number will be at the end of May when they drop Title 42. Um, but it can't be cheap, and the only thing that is that is worse than the cost is the extraordinary ignorance um, possessed by the Biden-Brandon uh, administration. Because if they think that illegal aliens are coming in here to follow the rules... <laughs> their first act on American soil, was breaking the law. That's the first act, by stepping onto American soil without invitation. You're breaking the law. But we're going to think they'll follow the law and keep their phones, which have sure will have GPS trackers in them, so that the federal government can track them down. Sure, that's what they're going to do. They're not going to toss those in the first pond that they find. No! Not a chance. And they'll answer every time the government calls. Where are you now? Where are you now? The government is going to play daddy and mommy like an overprotective helicopter parent trying to figure out where their kids are. How come you turned off your locator? Where are you now? Where are you now? Where are you now? And I know that because I'm one of them. I was it's like to know where my kids are. Um, but you know what the kids don't do? The kids don't turn off the locator because they know I'm paying for the phone and I'll stop payment and they won't have a phone anymore. But not the Brandon administration. The... Illegal aliens, um, no, we're not going to turn the phone off because that's the point. We want to be able to track them. The aliens have all the control. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a show. To borrow the line from Arthur Kirkland, 
in one of my very favorite Pacino movies of all time. It's a show. It's it's a show. That's when he when he lost his mind, and it's it's uh, uh, you're out of order. The end of and why can't I not remember the, one of my favorite movies of all time's title? Uh, I'm blanking here because I'm just remembering the scene, but I loved it. A few no, it's not a few good men. You think Al Pacino was in a few good men? <laughs> I did say out of order, but that's because that was the climactic scene in uh, the movie that I'm talking about, and I'm blanking on the name of it, for crying out loud. I've watched it 1,600 times. It's such a good movie. It's an older movie, by the way. It's from the late 70s, I think. Um, but uh, at any rate, it is. It's just all a show. Okay, let's go back to it, and it's, and it's, a, it's a very funny one, too, by the way. Uh, Joanne is in Twinsburg. Joanne, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Morning, Bob. Good morning. I hate to rain on your parade, but right before I turned you on, I heard on Fox News that they're not going to scoop people up in Texas. They're going to make it voluntary. So that kind of changes it a little bit for me. So it's not quite as tough as Abbott says. And this phone thing is just ridiculous. You know, I mean... It's, well, first, first, first of all, let me let me respond to that by saying I, my movie is "And Justice for All." That's the one. I there was you go. I was to. trying to think of it. Great. Too. I know, I me too. Such, yeah, such an amazing movie, and Al Pacino was yeah. at his very best there. Uh, second yeah. of all, um, yes, you're right. I did see that too. That it is voluntary, but of course, they're not scooping anybody up and mandatorily taking them anywhere. Because if they were, they should turn that bus southbound and <laughs> deposit them on the other side of the border. So they're not well, scooping anybody. Happen. Oh my God! Right. Come on. But they are yeah. allowing people to choose where they go, essentially. And what Abbott is saying, you know, obviously we're not going to quote unquote arrest them. We can't actually do that. That would be too. Well, harsh. I just, I just wonder if they should just check the trash cans outside of where they hand the people the phone, because they can just get them <laughs> again and use them again. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, right. That's a good idea. We gave it to one. We, we gave it to one. He dumped it in this can. Here, you take it now. Do, do me a yeah, favor. Yeah, I mean, dump you know, it. you can find a whole trash can full. I mean, how many feet outside the door do they have to be before they're going to ditch the thing? All right, I, it's ridiculous. It, it, it is. I mean, indeed. you know, exactly but as Jen Saki says, you know, they're not going to stay very long anyway. We really don't need to know. Yeah. No, no. Uh, you're, you're, you're good old peppermint right patty yourself. Pepper- Peppermint patty yourself. Thank you, Joanne. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to uh, Gary, who is in Berea, next on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Gary. Well, uh, actually, she stole my thunder, too. Uh-oh. Because I was going to correct you about that. Uh, oh, about, oh, about the, oh, about the volunteer aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I wanted to mention, okay, that... Uh, but but hold on. Before you go on, I, I want to try to to give you know the positive side of that again. What they have been doing is, is in the middle of the night, they're flying people on a voluntary basis to various parts of the country where people can choose which plane they're getting on or which bus they're getting on to go, you know, throughout the country so that literally every state is now a border state. Rather than just the border states sucking up the, you know, the, the problem here and absorbing the problem, rather, um, it's being spread everywhere. So, but nobody to my knowledge has said this one or these buses are targeted for Washington, D.C. So this is the first time that, so even though it's a voluntary basis, the fact that there are going to be buses in Texas taking uh, the uh, illegal aliens to, to Washington, D.C. to literally be paraded before the uh, Congress and before the White House is at least a good, a good sign. Because if they have to volunteer to get on whatever bus they want anyway to go wherever it is that they choose to go before they claim they're going to come back for their asylum hearing, at least now D.C. is an option and that's better than before. So I'm going to look at the I'm going to look at the upside there. 
All right. Well, okay. What else uh, you got here? I will. I am. Um, I want to tell you. You know, you saw Ted Cruz endorsed uh, Josh Mandel, right? I did. I interviewed Josh about it the other day. Yeah. So one one thing I wanted to tell you about. I way back uh, when, about forty years ago, I had uh, a what was called a opinion research company, and I did a lot of political polling, like I did Mary Rose O'Cars and Jerry McFalls and George Voinovich's. The polling technique that I used was utterly accurate, um, had about a 1% or 2% error factor, and that's because all of the people that participated uh, in collecting the information were all students, and uh, the what they would do is they would hand an individual a, a, a copy of a uh, what would be similar to that of what they would see in the actual voting booth. So in other words, the question would be, well, of the following candidates uh, for governor, who would you vote for today? So it turned out that that was utterly accurate. Now, what I have found out, Bob, is that these polls that are going on, and, and based on everything that we've seen in the past, all the skewed information and all the fallacies of speculation, um, the polls today that are being done have an error factor somewhere between 10 to 17 percent. They're, they're just not accurate. So I know that a poll has been conducted over the past two months for both governor, uh, the Senate race, and some congressional races. Okay, Gary, and I, I, I need you to get where you're going with this, my friend, because this call is taking well, a I long time. i got to, other people on hold, want, so go ahead. Well, Look, that that poll shows Josh Mandel ahead of Gibbons. Okay, so that was that, that was where that was where you were going. Okay, uh, and and you know here's the thing, you 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 know that poll and 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 you know the Harris poll that came out and the Fox poll before that, they all have different methodologies, obviously. And thanks for the call. And and what I find really amazing is that Jane Timkins' team can commission a poll to be done and. Lo and behold, Jane Commission is in a, or Jane Commission, excuse me, Jane Timken is in a three-way tie for first place. She feels great about where she is. J.D. Vance can commission a poll to be done by one of his support groups, like uh, Freedom Works. And, oh, look at this. J.D. Vance is in a dead tie with Gibbons and Mandel for, for the lead in all of this. Uh, and, you know, and then there are some that are not commissioned by the individual uh, campaigns, but when the when the poll is paid for by a campaign, it's amazing how the people that they survey somehow support the people in uh, or uh, uh, that that are uh, uh, the candidates for that campaign. It's really a remarkable thing. I don't put a whole lot of stock in any of those things, to be honest with you. The only ones that I do, like I said, are the ones where I know there are professional polling services, whether it's Rasmussen, for example, uh, or uh, and I could I got to go to Politifact or not Politifact. Um, a Politico and, and a real clear politics rather and look at all the average of all the surveys. The ones that aren't tied to candidates, and I don't know about the one you're talking about if they're tied to Josh uh, Mandel or not, but the ones that are tied to candidates always seem to favor that candidate. It's just remarkable that the people they survey of their 500 or 1300 or whatever, it's an extraordinary number who are, happen to be for the candidate who paid for the poll. But the only ones that I really want to pay a lot of attention to are the ones that are completely independent, the ones that are polling services doing these things on their own behalf for their own benefit, not because they're being paid by a candidate to run a poll. 
And by the way, I do like the point you talked about with college students. When I was in college at Heidelberg, well, then Heidelberg College, now Heidelberg University, in my political science class with Professor Bing, uh, great guy, great guy, left of, left of center, but great guy anyway, um, we did polling in the political science class. It was one of the projects. We actually were in a room, and we were on the phones, and we had the list back then. There was no Internet. It was the late 80s. And we just had the um, uh, these uh, computer printouts of every phone number in Seneca County, and um, I don't remember what we what we pulled about, but we actually had to call and try to convince the people to go through and ask the questions, chart the answers, and so on and so forth. And it was about as independent as it could come, because I didn't even know I was a I was a student at Heidelberg. I didn't, and I so I lived in Tiffin as a college student, but I didn't live in the county, and I didn't know any of these candidates were. I had no idea. I didn't know about the issues. I didn't know about the candidates. Because I'm not from there, and I couldn't vote for them anyway. So it was completely independent, and that's what we did. So I, I, love, I love what you said there, Gary, about um, college students conducting the surveys. And if there isn't a script provided to them that is going to push the poll one way or the other for a candidate who's paying for it, then I tend to lend a little bit more uh, uh, credibility to the results. Thank you for that call. We'll take a time out. More calls after this. Get a couple more phone calls in here before the top of the hour. We're going to hit uh, Charlie and Westlake next. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call again. Um, sure. On, Im- on immigration, uh, last week Trump was up there in one of his rallies, and he said, sadly, I'm going to be right about this, but they're emptying out all the prisons in the world. They're coming through our southern border, and we're going to pay for this for decades and decades. And he said, sadly, I'm right. And it's sad. If you look at El Salvador, they just arrested 16,000 gang members. They're all going to be up here you know, in a, in a couple of weeks. It, this, is, uh, this is really against America. One other thing, though, yesterday, Jim Jordan on the House, on the Congressional on the House in Congress, had probably his best speech ever, five minutes, but he said the real enemies of democracy are open borders. These are the real, and this is what, You've got to hear the speech. It's just really worth hearing. I will look it up. I will look it up, and uh, if I can find it, and it's as good as you say, I'll play it in its entirety because he's right, and thanks for the call. And so uh, was President Trump when he talked about the uh, other countries opening their prisons and saying, why should they be our problem? Let them find their way up into Mexico. Let them find their way across that border. Let them be America's problems. You're you're exactly right. That is happening. Uh, And thanks for the tip on the Jordan speech. Barbara Parma, you're next. Hi there. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. i got to ask you. Do you think that if they get those buses full of of the um, those those people that are coming across the border, and they they bring them up and they bring them over to D.C., do you think they're going to get the same coverage that they gave the truckers convoys that came into D.C.? I don't know about you, but I didn't see a stitch on any of the TV stations and showing it. I'll tell you what um, that truckers convoy, the people's convoy, was a little underwhelming. Um, and the reason why you probably didn't see a lot of coverage, first of all, they don't want people to see that kind of stuff. People pushing. Uh, yeah, that's the, the part I meant. They don't want yeah. it. They don't want people to see it. But but the reason they were able to get away with that is because they didn't do what they did in Canada. You know what I mean? They didn't park those rigs right in the middle right. of D.C. and stop everything right. and really make a statement where things were ground to a halt while they protested. They just kind of drove a few loops around the Beltway and uh, you know and eventually took off again and, uh, and went back to where they came from. So it didn't have the impact as the Canadian one 
And maybe it's because they couldn't afford to do it that way. You know, you saw well, what happened the to the Canadian truckers who lost their lost their jobs. They lost their uh, they lost so much money in uh, in in staging this protest. So, but it it just didn't have the impact. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think the duration of the one in D.C. as you say, it was just very short lived. It was around and around and around, and that was it. Right. But again, they they got pretty much zip coverage. Yeah, yeah, and 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 well, you know, the media is never going to do anything that makes Mm-mm. the policies, or you know, I wouldn't even say make them look bad, because what those truckers were doing is questioning and saying, "Here's what we have to say. Why can't you know the people have their say?" Anything that even questions the yeah, authority the or the decisions being right. made, be, right? Particularly as it pertains <laughs> to vaccines and and mandates, anything that questions the people who are supposedly our betters um is is silenced and suppressed this is uh, this is par for the course with our with our national media yep but i i think nancy pelosi's house is probably closer to the mexican border than dc and they might save a little gas and drop them off over there <laughs> i love that i really meant that before too and thanks for the call barbara <laughs> i'm not the first one to say drop them off at nancy's house but i'm really very serious about it especially in delaware take them to delaware into joe biden's home neighborhood and dump them off there. Take them to, you know, I think somebody once said, take them to Martha's Vineyard and, you know, put them where, you know, where the leftists reign supreme. And they're the ones making this happen. But they're insulated from the problems of illegal immigration because of where they live. They don't live in border states. So if every state in America is going to become a border state due to their policies, make them feel it. Make them feel the pinch. All right, let's get news now. We're going to come back. Dr. Everett Piper on the other side. Mr. Scream, take us to the news. Uh oh, we got a glitch. He's uh, either that or maybe he's hoarse. Maybe he's a little sick. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. With Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. It is a Thursday, seventh morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Got some great conversations to come at 1035. We're going to talk to Steve Cortez, who is in Camp Vance, Camp J.D. He's going to join us today to talk about why J.D. Vance should win the Republican primary for the Senate seat currently held by Rob Portman. That'll be coming up at 1035. And then at 1110, I told you in the first hour, you're going to want to be here for that. Whether you leave for a little while and then come back or whether you at 1110, I told you in the first hour, you're going to want to be here for that. Whether you leave for a little while and then come back or whether you stick, you're going to want to be here for the conversation about how Cleveland Clinic has ostensibly said that a little nine-year-old boy should die rather than receive a life-saving transplant from his own father because his father isn't vaccinated. That's Cleveland Clinic. And that story, we're going to talk to the mom of the little boy, the wife of the husband. That'll be coming up at 1110. You're not going to want to miss that uh, infuriating and heart-wrenching conversation. Joining us now, of course, is our regular Thursday analyst, Dr. Everett Piper, who is... A best-selling author. He is a columnist for the Washington Times. He's a past university president. He's also a podcast host, host, which you should check out. It's called The Rebellion, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And Dr. Piper, of course, uh, is also a running for office in his native Oklahoma as a county commissioner. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
So it it seems as though if people feel like we're having the same conversation every week, um, and I can understand how they might feel that way because some of these topics are the same, but there are new developments within them uh, each and every time we talk. So, Dr. Prepper, I want to kind of get caught up on this this massive trans movement. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the impact of Disney targeting and grooming children, uh, schools, and so forth. But uh, let's talk a little bit about your column, which you wrote about on Sunday, about the sports world. You and I also discussed Leah Thomas and the swimming situation in the NCAAs and in the Ivy Leagues. But some action has been taken in what you call the reddest of red states, and that is your native Oklahoma. You want to tell us? Yeah, and just as context, uh, the reason I call Oklahoma the reddest of red states is that for four successive presidential elections, not one county in Oklahoma has gone has voted blue. It's it's a it's a mass of red in Oklahoma. You don't even have an outlier of blue in the last four successive presidential elections. So everybody looks at Oklahoma as being this conservative bastion of uh, common sense, natural law, traditionalism and respect for a Judeo-Christian ethic. And I love Oklahoma, and there's a lot of truth to that identity that we are proud of. But I've said a thousand times over on my show, as well as yours, I've written about it in the Washington Times, that this this nonsense, this lunacy, this postmodern Gnosticism of, of denying the reality of biology and physiology, denying what you see in the mirror, denying the body, and claiming that you can manipulate and contrive your very identity to be nothing more than your imagination, uh, that you can pretend to be something you're not, that men can culturally appropriate unto themselves something that isn't theirs, that they can steal a woman's sport, her shower, her locker room, her identity, she, that men can steal a woman's dignity because of pretending to be something that they're not, pretending to be a woman. I've talked about this a thousand times. And the reason we keep repeating this story, Bob, is because the culture won't relent. They're the ones that keep rubbing our nose in this nonsense. And it literally is that. It makes no sense. It's nonsense. Well, anyway, in Oklahoma, Governor Stitt last week signed into law the Defending Women's Sports Act, more specifically, Save Women's Sports Act. He signed it into law. And all this law does is say women have the right to their own sport. That's all it does. Women have the right to their own sport. Men, boys, biological males, cannot intrude into a woman's sport, into her shower, into her locker room, into her bathroom. Men can't do that. That's all this law does. Now, you would think in the reddest of red states that this would make sense, wouldn't you? that of course we want to comply with Title IX. Of course we believe women should be respected. Of course we should keep men out of those things that a woman has the legal right to claim for her own. But even in Oklahoma, this is controversial. We're being claimed, or excuse me, we're being blamed, we're being accused of being cisgender bigots. We're being accused of being insensitive to the trans community. It, it, the, the, the lunacy of this, when all Governor did it did is signed a law that says men are men, women are women, schools are schools, athletic associations are athletic associations, Title IX is Title IX, and we're going to honor all of the above as being a fact, and we're going to treat women with dignity. But yet, that's a controversial thing to the left. I'll close with this, Bob. This is a winning argument for conservatives. This is a winning argument to defend the dignity of women 
and to defend the innocence of children, we will win if we don't back down. We need to have courage and stand strong in the face of this progressive storm, this backlash, but they're exposing themselves as literally being insane. Dr. Piper, two quick responses, both related to the same part of your comments, and you talked about how they say this is offensive to the trans community and unfair to the trans community. Um, What is the trans community? Is there a trans community? Because according to science, um, less than 1% of the population suffers from the mental and psychological condition known as gender dysphoria, where they really do have a psychological issue, where their brain is telling them that there's something that their uh, science, scientific body, their biology and their anatomy and their chromosomes say that they are. so what is this trans community? And second of all, the other part of that is, well, what's the alternative to be offensive to the rest of the community, the 99%, by making them say things that are not true, by making them acknowledge things that are not real, that boys are girls and girls are boys and men are women and so on and so forth, and changing pronouns to plural pronouns when there's an individual involved, or making up words that are fake pronouns, and all of the rest of this nonsense, I mean... So, so which is it? If, if somebody is going to be quote unquote offended in some way, should it be the one, less than 1% community or the 99.5% community? That's the problem I have. Well, your, your question is perfect. And, and you've just exposed, by virtue of your question, you've exposed the dramatic lie of the, of the rainbow. Because their lie is this your community, your identity is defined by your desires. Your proclivities actually are the end-all and be-all of your personhood. And I've said it this way. We've dumbed down the definition of the human being to nothing but the sum total of our inclinations. Our identity equals our inclinations, and our inclinations equal our identity. All of that is a lie. For example, you've got a guy down in Texas who thinks he's a lizard. He's had his head... Uh, he's had horns implanted in his head. He's been tattooed all over his whole body to look like scales. He's had his ears bobbed and his nose cut short so that he looks like a lizard. Now, are we going to start honoring and codifying into law the lizard community? Now, everybody listening is saying, oh, that's absurd. Of course not. Well, why is that any more absurd than codifying into law other delusions that end up being the definition of who we are as individuals, or even worse, who we are as a community. Gore Vidal said, and Gore Vidal was a sexually debauched man. He wasn't a Christian, a virtuous Christian in any sense of the word. But even he had it right. He said this, there's no more such thing as a homosexual person than there is a heterosexual person. And then he concluded by saying this, these are behavioral adjectives. And he's right. This is a, these are behavioral adjectives that we're talking about, but yet we've turned them into the defining characteristics of who we are as people and as communities. And that's a lie. You're not going to have the lizard community, at least not today we don't, because you don't honor delusion by elevating it to the, to the status of human definition. And we shouldn't do that with other things that are obviously contrary to the reality that we see in the mirror. Well, Dr. Piper, let's um, let's move on to the next story, because in one American city, they're doing more than honoring delusion. They're paying it. They're compensating for it. They are financially rewarding it. 
In Palm Springs, California, the Palm Springs City Council approved last week a proposal to provide reparations or universal basic income to certain segments of the Palm Springs population of the residency. That segment is the transgender and non-binary population. So the taxpayers of Palm Springs are going to be ponying up at least $200,000 for the initial research and planning phase of this. Then they will be ponying up, and I don't know for how long, if this is $900 a month for life or if this is $900 a month for a year. I don't know. But what we do know is that they're giving $900 to anybody, no strings attached, who identifies as being something other than what they are. And if you're wondering how and why and where this came from, well... The mayor of Palm Springs, Lisa Middleton, is a transgendered person. So she has apparently, or he, I don't know which direction this particular person is, but uh, has convinced the uh, city council to take people like her and reward them for being like her or him. Okay. So, again, let's. sometimes it's very helpful to take an idea and play it out to its extreme. And I, I'm going to go back to this lizard man in Texas. All right, so if you're going to pay people for, <laughs> pardon me? I just said I wish you wouldn't. I've seen that guy, and I, can't, I don't need the image of him in my head anymore, but go ahead. <laughs> you know, he, but he's not the only one. You've got another guy, I believe he's in New Hampshire, somewhere, somewhere in the east, that thinks he's a goat. So he has prostheses on his, on his arms to lengthen them so that they're the same length as his legs, and he walks around with a, with a helmet with the shape of goat horns out in the pasture eating grass. Oh my I mean, Lord. people are laughing as I'm as, I, as I'm describing this stuff right now, or they're they're just crying with with sadness that you've got human beings that are this dysfunctional. But what's the difference if you if you start codifying into law that your delusions are going to define you as a person and that we're going to reward you legally and financially? We're going to give you minority status because of your inclinations. Then why won't you start paying the goat man or the lizard man nine hundred bucks a month because he can't get a job? Well, of course you can't get a job if you're walking around with horns on your head, with your nose bobbed and your ears cut off, and and your your face tattooed with scales. Of course you can't get a job if you think you're a goat. Of course you're going to be limited in your ability to function financially in community in normal civil society. Of course there are going to be consequences to these bad ideas. So why? logical question. If you're going to start throwing money at one delusion, where are you going to stop? Where are you going to stop? And I'll guarantee you that you're going to have other delusional categories stepping forward and saying, we want to be recognized as minorities, too. Intersectionality is hurting us. Cisgender privilege is hurting us. Um, white privilege or uh, heterosexual privilege is, is hurting us. I guarantee you, why wouldn't they argue for the same thing? Dr. Everett Piper laying it out for us as only he can. Now, you you know how many thousands of people you just sent scurrying to their keyboards looking up Goat Boy? Uh, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Because I, I know I'm tempted to look it up, and I don't want to because I don't want to see it. I'll never get that out of my head again. Dr. Piper, quick time out. We'll come back. No, I'm tempted to look it up, and I don't want to because I don't want to see it. I'll never get that out of my head again. Dr. Piper, quick time out. We'll come back. AM 1420, The Answer. 10.25, we've got five good minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, the last couple of visits on this uh, program, you have mentioned a book uh, called Awake, Not Woke by Noel Mehring, and uh, I know you've got something else you want to share uh, that you think is pertinent today. Go ahead. 
Uh, great book. I recommend it to everybody. Awake, Not Woke. Noel Mary, M-E-R-I-N-G. Uh, I, I, I posted a quote this week on Facebook from the book, and it went nuts. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hits. And the quote essentially summarizes uh, the research in 1936, I believe it was, by an Oxford anthropologist by the name of J.D. Unwin. J.D. Unwin analyzed and researched 86 different civilizations and societies to find out why they were healthy and why they ultimately fell. And he, he, in his 1936 research, summarizes the fall of all 86 societies and cultures because of their sexual confusion. Now, J.D. Unwin was an was a, uh, anthropologist at Oxford, and he wasn't a Christian, per se, so this isn't conservative Christianity. This is one of the premier anthropologists in the world at that time. He found that when a culture steps away from, quote, prenuptial chastity and marital monogamy, when any culture abandons those two priorities and principles, prenuptial chastity and marital monogamy, every single one of the 86 cultures he studied fell. They were eventually conquered by another culture within three generations of abandoning those two primary principles. He concludes in his research, or excuse me, Noelle Maring concludes in her book by referring to his research by asking this question. If you go back to the 1960s, and identify that as the starting point of the sexual revolution, America's sexual revolution, we're now in our third generation thereafter. Any culture that doesn't define itself clearly is going to be the prey of a culture that's well-defined, even though that well-defined culture may be despotic. You're going to be overthrown, according to J.D. Unwin in 1936 research. It's inevitable. You will be overthrown. You will be taken over if you abandon premarital uh, chastity and marital monogamy. You know, I can already hear the critics saying, you know what, this isn't 1936. Those culture, this isn't the time of those other civilizations and cultures that failed. Uh, we've evolved. Things have changed. Um, you know, monogamy is no longer realistic. You know, premarital celibacy is no longer realistic because of the sexual revolution, as you point out. And, and now, quite frankly, because of the digital age, there is just so much pressure and so many things that, that make that unrealistic. That's what they would respond to this, saying this culture is different, and this culture culture is is able to handle this because of our because of our evolution. This is what they would say. I don't know if I would necessarily call that evolving, but but how do you respond to that? Well, um, I would uh, go back to the Anglican and the Wesleyan quadrilateral and analyzing every worldview and every question: tradition, reason, experience, and revelation. And tradition meaning the wisdom of the ages should be attended to. So if you say we're so much different than everybody in the past, well, maybe we're different for bad reasons rather than good reasons. Maybe the wisdom of the ages, those ideas that have stood the test of time, should be attended to. Ideas such as prenuptial chastity and marital monogamy. If it worked for everybody for the last 2,000, 3,000 years, why would we think that we want to step away from those things that worked? The other thing is, experience. How's it working for you? It's the Dr. Phil question. So if you think that our ideas today are working so much better, then why do we have such dramatic dysfunction, such 
dynamic tensions in our culture right now. Why are we split 50-50 in the United States? Why are we now the divided states rather than the United States? How's it working for you? So if they want to claim that somehow you can, re- you, can um, you, you can somehow use communism and socialism in a better way and that it, the only reason it didn't work in the past is because they weren't using it properly, okay, fine. But how's it working for you? A hundred million people are dead as the result of collectivism, communism, and socialism. And I would apply the same question to anything else, such as the sexual revolution. How's it working for women? You've got nearly 25% of millennial-age women that have an STD right now. And they're going to be infertile because of the STDs that we have put upon them because of the sexual revolution. How's it working for women? How's it working for women that are being deprived of their sports, their locker rooms, their bathrooms, their dignity, and their identity? How's it working for them? So if somebody wants to argue that it's working so well and the sexual revolution has played itself out in a positive way in our culture and that we're not going to suffer the same demise as other cultures that have preceded us, I would say that's chronological snobbery and arrogance. And I would go back like that and say, how's it working for you? And I would add one other element to that and and look at our uh, divorce rate. You know, with over 50% of American marriages now ending in divorce, I would say, how is this working for us uh, in that regard, I'm sure uh, J.D. Unwin would have a lot to say about monogamy and uh, and, and uh, chastity in marriage. Dr. Everett Piper, always a pleasure. Great analysis. Thank you so much for the time, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Blessing. Take care. All right. 1030 now. We'll take a time out and come back to politics. J.D. Vance wants to be the next senator from the state of Ohio. He's got Steve Cortez in his corner. Steve Cortez is going to be joining me next to talk about why. Talk a little bit more about that race coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 1038, a little late coming back in. Apologies for that. Back to politicking now on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer. You may know Steve Cortez from his time at CNN. You may know him from his time at CNBC, his time at Fox, his time at Bloomberg TV, his time on Newsmax. You might even know him uh, on his podcast on AM560, The Answer. But I think the best way to know him is by his Twitter bio. American nationalist, bad hombre, born for a storm, Steve Cortez, joins us now on AM1420, The Answer, to talk politics in the United States Senate race. Steve, good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, if I can only pick one descriptor, I'll go with bad hombre, right? I'll try to live up to that. I love it. I really do. I guess now we could add to your very large business card, J.D. Vance supporter. You're on the campaign trail for J.D., huh? I am. I'm literally in the car with him right now as we speak. We already finished uh, one town hall near Cincinnati. We're heading up near Dayton for our second town hall, and we're doing a bunch of these today. Uh, I am supporting J.D. Vance, and I really believe that he is the America First candidate to represent Ohio. Uh, it's a really competitive primary, which I'm thrilled to see, by the way. I think that's great for our country that we have competitive primaries. Uh, but among these candidates, the one that I am enthusiastically supporting, the one who I think best represents the principles of the America First movement, is J.D. And so I, uh, I want to persuade Ohioans uh, to get out and vote. As you well know, voting has already started. 
uh, to get out and vote and, and to support this man because I think he'll be uh, he'll make an outstanding senator for this state. All right. You know the next question is an obvious one. Why? What is it you see in yeah. J.D. Vance that you don't see in Josh Mandel or in Mike Gibbons or in Matt Dolan or in Jane Timken? Why, why J.D.? Sure. Well, and let me first say, you know, and you were very kind to read a lot of my resume. I, I didn't even realize I worked for that many media companies until you listed it, Bob. But, um, <laughs> but part of my resume also is, you know, I have basically worked you know, either officially or unofficially for Donald Trump in the last six years worked for his campaign in 2016 and in 2020, and, and I hope to work on his campaign again in 2024, where I think we will, we will elect him again. Um, but I will say this, as a Trump supporter, um, as I hope one of the leaders of the America First movement, uh, I was a convert to Donald Trump. I was suspicious of him originally, and I said some things in 2015 about Trump uh, that I don't, uh, that I no longer believe, uh, and I'm a convert a lot like J.D. Vance. And so, uh, believe me, I would not be supporting J.D. if I didn't believe that he was 100% on board with our agenda. But to get specific about policy you know, and why I support him versus some of his rivals, I think that he has an understanding as an outsider, as somebody who is new to politics, has an understanding of how corrupt and rigged the system is in the United States, the political system, the economic system is in the United States, um, has an understanding that is uh, above and beyond that of his opponents. I'll give you a specific example of that you know, regarding Ukraine. And, and J.D. has taken a lot of heat for this, uh, but I think he's taken heat from all the sort of right opponents. You know, in other words, he has, he has the correct enemies on this stance. Uh, you know, he believes that what's happening in Ukraine is a tragedy, uh, that the invasion by Russia is totally inexcusable and wrong. At the same time, he believes there's no vital U.S. national security interest there and that we should be de-escalating this conflict, not escalating as the Biden administration is doing and as two of his opponents support doing. Uh, both Gibbons and Mandel want to have a European-led no-fly zone in Ukraine, which will result in U.S. direct fighting in Ukraine in a hot second, uh, because we know that that would, if, if Poland and, and, and Germany and France are enforcing a no-fly zone against Russia, and they get into a shooting war, which they will uh, very quick, quickly with the Russians, we are compelled by Article 5 of, of the NATO agreement. Uh, to then get involved. J.D. doesn't want that. Uh, he's a man who wore the uniform. He's a U.S. Marine. Uh, he knows that we cannot get involved in nation-building, in needless and endless wars, uh, as we did for far too long before the American First Movement, before Trump. So uh, I think he has a view of, uh, of a foreign policy of realism and restraint. He has an economic uh, outlook. Let me let me jump in. Hold on, hold on, Steve. Sure. Let me jump in there because um, uh, before we move on to the economy, all of this is going to get lost. So my follow to that would be, um, what is de-escalation? What does that look like? Because while we're yeah. talking about de-escalating and finding you know, realistic solutions and ones that don't involve getting into shooting wars with the Russians, the devastation, the atrocities, the war crimes, the burning, the, the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, torturing of people, and these are not soldiers, these are civilians in Ukraine, right. goes on. So, so as J.D. steps back and says we can't do anything that's going to, enforce a no-fly zone because it could potentially bring about an actual combat with the Russians, with Americans, uh, and with NATO allies, what does he want to do then? Right. Listen, I think we can, uh, we can facilitate and encourage negotiation. And, uh, and I think that these two sides uh, can talk this through. I really do believe that. And, and we get a lot of mixed signals from Zelensky, but at times uh, he's very reasonable about this and says that, listen, you know, there are solutions where the eastern part of Ukraine uh, can uh, reach a negotiation uh, and a negotiated settlement with the Russians. And that is you know, likely what will happen if the United States 
stops trying to force escalation. What I mean, and let me be specific. What I mean by escalation, for example, we have declared all-out economic war against Russia, and not really against Putin or the oligarchs, but against the Russian people. We have done things, for example, in the currency markets right now, which are unprecedented in American history. We simply have never done this before. We literally declared a currency war against Russia. Uh, it, in the early weeks of that currency war that we declared a little over a month ago, uh, it forced the Russian ruble to briefly collapse. The Russian ruble has come all the way back since then in, in foreign exchange trading. And here's my point, and here's why it matters to regular Americans, it matters to regular Ohioans, is the dollar, the United States dollar, has been the king of currencies for a century. It's been what is known as the reserve currency of the world. And a lot of folks, if they don't trade currencies, if they don't travel a lot overseas, they might say, well, what do I care about the value of the dollar? Here's why it matters to, re- to regular citizens. Uh, because we have a reserve currency in the world, it has kept interest rates stable. And uh, for the last 40 years before Biden, it's kept inflation incredibly tame in the United States because there's this global thirst for dollars. Uh, we have risked all of that in an attempt to declare economic war on the people of Russia. We've risked all of it. It hasn't even worked, by the way, so far. Uh, but Biden has really rolled the dice with a century of dollar dominance for a regional battle in which the United States has no vital national interest. That is, you know, certainly my view. I think I'm basically reflecting the view of J.D. Vance in that regard as well. And, you know, and again, he's not soft on Russia. This is, a, this is a U.S. Marine. This is somebody who is deployed to a war zone. Uh, and it doesn't mean that, there are, that Russia's actions are consequence-free, but it does mean that the United States has to be judicious about when we decide to intervene and how we intervene if we do. And this is just not a conflict that should matter to this degree to the United States. We have a border crisis, but it's not the eastern border of Ukraine. It's the southern yeah. border of the United States, and our focus should be there. Yeah, one of the one of the lines that JD has used a few different times, and the last time I spoke with him, I asked him about it. You know, that we uh, about chewing gum and walking at the same time, and uh, he said, you know, we obviously can't do both. I I disagreed with him, and I'm going to ask you to follow up on that now because I I sure. think we can absolutely continue uh, to you know try to save lives and stop the war in Eastern Europe, whatever means and whatever that looks like can be discussed, but we could absolutely be fully engaged in that, which I think we should be, because China's watching. So are America's other enemies to see what we do when a, when a dictator with world power like Vladimir Putin takes these extraordinary, extraordinarily hyper-aggressive approaches. What are the Americans going to do? I think we can do that and the border at the, our own border at the same time, but Steve, J.D. said we can't because we're not, and I don't think that's accurate. I told him that. It's a choice by Joe Biden. It's a choice by Kamala Harris to leave that border wide open. And when Title 42 ends at the end of May, 7,500 encounters a day at our southern border becomes 18,000 a day. That's by choice, not by a lack of ability to handle both of those things. So I, 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 I kind of question whether or not sure. being a non-interventionist in Eastern Europe and using the border as uh, you know, as the as the reason is more of just an excuse to not have to deal with what's going on over there. We can do both. Uh, listen, Bob, I understand what you're saying. Uh, do I think it's possible to do both at the same time? Yes, I think it's possible. Uh, but is it is it practical? You know, is it going to happen? I mean, my answer to that is no. Uh, we we have shown no ability to really focus on two major issues or two major crises uh, at once. As when I say we, I mean as a as a, as a political establishment in the United States. So you would hope that a country as sophisticated and able as America could handle multiple crises at once. But again, that's just not what our political establishment has shown us so far. And it's also just an issue of priority. Steve, let me, inter- let, me interject, let me interject just for the purpose of clarification on this, too, because it might sure. make it easier for you to answer, too. If Vladimir Putin had never gone into Ukraine, 
Is anything different at our southern border? If we don't have to pay one lick of attention to what's going on in Eastern Europe, let's say it never happened, are we seeing anything different on our southern border? Because my answer is no. It's very clear what they want. They want this invasion, and and they are facilitating it. So I think to use the border as the excuse not to deal with Eastern Europe, like I said, is just that. It's it's an excuse, because nothing would be different. Let me let me be clear, okay? Even if our southern border were totally uh, were totally solid, right? We're totally under control. Yeah. If we had a lockdown on, on the front door of America's southern border, I would still say we should not be intervening in the Ukrainian crisis. Okay, so I mean, the, I can separate the two issues. They don't have to be conjoined. I agree with you one hundred percent. So that. I'm glad to hear you but say that, and I hope JD clarifies that too, because okay. what people are hearing is JD doesn't want to do anything with Europe because we got to focus on the southern border. Erase. I mean, I don't think those two are linked at all. And I think well, you're, no, you're doing I, it right but, now. So. Okay, but I do think they're linked. No, no, again, I was saying, you know, theoretically, if we could separate them, I'd still be against intervention in Ukraine. However, I do think they're linked, and here's why, Bob, is because it's an issue of priorities, right? And priorities matter. I mean, priorities matter in every person's life and every business and, and certainly for this country. And in terms of this country right now, our national leadership and certainly our national media, if we look at corporate media, not your show, not conservative radio, thank goodness, for conservative talk radio out there, right? A voice of reason, voices of reason. Uh, but when we look at our national legacy media platforms, for example, they are so hyper-focused, so completely obsessed with the situation in Ukraine uh, that there is no room. I mean, the priorities matter. There is no room for the discussion of the actual crisis, which is far more pertinent to Ohio, far more important and more dangerous for America than anything that is going on 5,000 miles away. So, you know, I, I do think that they are linked in terms of priorities. You know, I, I think that that matters. But, uh, you know, but to your point, if we could if we could wave a wand and secure the southern border, I still would be against intervention in eastern Ukraine, and I think JD would be as well. Okay, so so real quick, because we've spent this entire time on just foreign policy, and I want to get a couple of other things sure. in, but but just super quick, keep this to thirty seconds if you can. Um, yeah. What about like I, what I said a moment ago, the China factor? You know, everybody thinks they're on their way into Taiwan momentarily if the United States doesn't do something with NATO to try to deter what's going on in in Ukraine right now. Yeah. Let me say this. J.D. is the toughest political candidate on China that I have encountered so far. It's one of the reasons I support him. We just did a town hall uh, where he supported economic, uh, biological war reparations on China for what they did to us with the virus. It's outrageous that they have not paid a financial price. So far, that has to change. I love all of that. I love all of that, but specific to Taiwan, specific to what 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 uh, Xi Jinping might do with Taiwan because of what we are not doing in 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 terms of intervention. Yeah, I don't know where JD stands on Taiwan, so I don't want to speak for him in that in this regard. But I will tell you just on my own behalf, Taiwan, unlike Eastern Ukraine, Taiwan matters enormously to the United States. It is absolutely in our economic, vital, national interest uh, because we are totally dependent, and this is too bad. Okay, but the reality is. We are totally dependent on semiconductor chip manufacturing out of Taiwan. Taiwan dominates the global semiconductor market. We need to move that production here to the United States. It's terrible that we are as reliant as we are on Taiwan, but the American economy literally cannot function without Taiwan. And given that, uh, we have an absolute vital national interest in the protection of Taiwan. Uh, so I would view that as a totally different situation from what is going on in eastern, eastern Ukraine, which is a human tragedy, uh, but it's not a vital national we're t- we are talking with Steve Cortez. Steve Cortez is traveling now and campaigning with J.D. Vance for United States Senate. Steve is obviously a media veteran. Uh, and, Steve, I introduced you by all of those uh, media titles, and then you made a point of saying, I've been working with in a, an official or unofficial capacity for President Trump for the last six years. And I think you did that for a reason. 
everybody in this race other than Matt Dolan is angling for Trump support and a Trump endorsement. Right. Josh Mandel goes by pro-God, pro-gun, pro-Trump. Uh, Gibbons right. and Timken both say, I'm Trump tough. Uh, and then JD, uh, JD is America first, which is, which is, which is Trump. So, you know, and, and I, and what, Kellyanne Conway is in this too, along with Corey Lewandowski. They're with the, everybody's got their Trump flexing right. going on here. How important do you think it is? And since you know the president so well, do you think an endorsement is coming for one of these people? You know, uh, listen, I, I don't know is the, is the honest answer. Uh, I have spoken to President Trump about it. I have made the case to him uh, personally for why I'm supporting J.D. Vance. He's certainly extremely impressed with J.D. I don't know what he's going to do, if anything, regarding an endorsement. You know, clearly, the Trump endorsement in Republican primaries is, you know, is a gold standard. It is, it's something that is, you know, that is very much... Uh, fervently sought by candidates all over the country. Um, I don't know if he's going to get involved or not, but I'm of the belief, uh, again, that, that J.D. is the most America-first candidate in this primary. It's the reason that I throw my support behind him, uh, and, and I hope that whether, whatever President Trump decides to do, I, you know, I hope that people will look, and if they are, if they are uh, believers in the Trump movement, believers in America first, they will at least view the fact that Steve Cortez is behind J.D., um, as, as an additive factor, as, as something, uh, as a credential building uh, part of JD's candidacy. Last thing I'll ask you about this and uh, let you go here, and we appreciate your time, Steve. Um, of course. Governor DeSantis in Florida just continues to win friends and influence people by his uh, remarkable decisions, his handling of COVID, his handling of mandates, his handling of, right. uh, obviously, the parental rights law in Florida that is being called the Don't Say Gay Bill, that is being challenged by Disney and challenged by the trans movement all over the, all over the country. And conservatives are coming around and saying DeSantis 24 sounds really, really good. So right. what's your take on this uh, you know, this growth of, of Governor DeSantis' popularity. Um, and might President Trump be better pushing forward with a pro-America First candidate like a Ron DeSantis and, and kind of wielding some power behind the scenes rather than being the face of the party again in 2024? How do you feel about that, and how do you think J.D. does, again, given J.D.'s, uh, you know, old statements about Trump and his current position on Trump? Yeah. Uh, well, listen. I don't want to speak for JD in that behalf. I've never spoken with him about this, so I don't know. But I will I'll say have I'll have tell tell him I'll have him back on again soon. We can do that yeah, part with him. But what about you? Like I said, we're in the car together. But uh, no, listen. Here's my view. Uh, governor DeSantis is the best governor in America. I think par none. I mean, he's just he's phenomenal. And I think in many ways he saved this country. And I really I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that because of the brave stance that he took regarding lockdown. And he showed the way for America how to responsibly deal with the virus and, and how to mitigate risks in a way that doesn't punish society and close schools and all that sort of thing. So I have unbelievable respect for DeSantis. I think he's going to be president of the United States at some point. He's a very young man. Uh, he has a lot of years ahead of him. Uh, it, that will not be in 2024 if Donald Trump decides to run. Now, if Donald Trump does not decide to run, uh, I would firmly support whomever uh, Trump decides to support. But I, I believe he's running. I think Trump will run, will win in 2024, and I do not see a showdown between uh, Trump and DeSantis. I think these are two uh, fellow champions of the American First Movement, and I think both of them will have their time uh, to, to, serve, uh, to serve us in the Oval Office. All right, there it is. That's what I wanted to hear. I appreciate your perspective on all of that. Steve Cortez, uh, really appreciate you. I've talked to you in the past. You don't remember because you do a lot of media, but I always enjoy talking to you. I do remember, Thanks. Bob. No, do you? I okay. Appreciate it. Okay, I good. Do.
I figured you talked to enough hosts, you they probably all run together <laughs> on you. But uh, but no, I mean that. I enjoyed talking to you. I certainly enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your perspective, and uh, all the best to you. Well, hopefully, we'll talk again. You bet. Thank you, Bob. Thank Bye-bye. you. That's uh, Steve Cortez. He's traveling right now with JD Vance, making town hall appearances, and uh, uh, you know, looking to move the needle. And according to a survey, a poll, the most recent poll, again, I I always take these with a bit of a grain of salt if they are funded by groups or PACs that support one candidate or another. And that is the case here. This was a, a poll commissioned by a super PAC that is uh, uh, supportive of J.D. Vance, but it says J.D. Vance has pulled into a statistical tie now with uh, Mandel and Gibbons atop this race as early voting has begun. And we are, of course, less than four weeks away from the actual election day of May 3rd. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll take it all the way to the news. On the other side of the news, you're going to want to be here for a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching, infuriating story of a little boy whose life is on the line and is being played with by COVID tyrants at Cleveland Clinic. We're going to talk to the mother of a nine-year-old boy in a precarious situation, the wife of a husband doing everything he can to save his son, and Cleveland Clinic won't let them. That story is coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three of Always Right Radio. On AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again to Steve Cortez, talking politics with us. Senate race, thanks to Dr. Everett Piper, uh, who joined us in the uh, first part of last hour. And now I want to bring to the airwaves the story that I teased and kind of set up uh, at the beginning of the show. I didn't want to tell too much, and I don't want to tell too much now, because I can't tell it the way that our guest can tell it. But by way of background... Nine-year-old little boy named Tanner, Tanner Donaldson, stage five chronic kidney disease. He needs a transplant urgently. You know how those lists are. You know how long it takes to find somebody who's a donor. And then cross your fingers and hope they're a match. Because you don't want to put a kidney into a, into a, into a, cross your fingers and hope they're a match. Because you don't want to put a kidney into a into a into a recipient that that the kidney's not going to you know it's going to be rejected and that's a waste of of two different lives potentially. Well, nine year old Tanner found a match and didn't have to wait on a list. Dad, his father is a perfect match. His father Dane. So we're ready to go. Four years ago, 2018, Cleveland Children's Hospital approved the transplant. I guess that means Cleveland Clinic, uh, approved the transplant. Now, this is four years later. It ought to be done, right? Recovery? 
Everything should be good and going swimmingly, but unfortunately, nothing has been done. Why? Because COVID happened. And with COVID came COVID policy. And with COVID policy came COVID tyranny. And now it is that COVID tyranny that is putting this little boy's life in grave danger, even as his father waits to be able to save his life. I cannot even imagine what it must be like to be the mother of Tanner Donaldson and the wife of Dane Donaldson, but Jennifer Donaldson is, and she joins us now to tell us this unthinkable story. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for coming on, especially with you being under the weather. Um, I really appreciate you telling this story. How are you this morning? Great, Bob. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. As soon as I heard about this story uh, from our mutual friend, uh, Stephanie Stock, uh, I just, you know, it just made me sick to my stomach. I posted it on my website. I'm getting all kinds of people who are livid with Cleveland Clinic for their unthinkable decision-making here. Let's, uh, let's go back to tell the full story to 2018, early 2018. When did you find out about the situation, about uh, Tanner's condition and how grave it was to the point where he needed to have a transplant? Well, just to clarify, Bob, um, Tanner was born in at Cleveland Clinic, so he's been a part of Cleveland Clinic's uh, medical system since birth. So we've been there, you know, this entire time. We've known since birth that he eventually would need a kidney transplant. Okay. So at the current moment, Tanner, even even today, still holds a, a, a steady kidney function, but it is very low. Um, we're sitting around 18% function. Um, so the, the reason for the uh, approval back in 2018 was to have, because he suffered a kidney infection uh, mid-2017, so it qualified him to be preemptively approved for transplant. <clears throat> so once he was approved, um, we, we just basically need to comply. If I may, Jennifer, if I may, um, what what does preemptive mean? He's already got kidney preemptive disease. Preemptive means that he is, yeah, sorry about that. Preemptive means he is not on dialysis. He doesn't manage any other health conditions other than the, um, we do we do um, put a catheter in him mm-hmm. every three to four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of, of, of that manual management of his, of his urinary tract, he really doesn't have any other health markers that, you know, that we manage. Got no it. diabetes, no high blood pressure, nothing. So he is A1 front-of-the-line kidney transplant. Their miracle child is what we had been told for many, many, many years mm-hmm. uh, because of his health and what we do as his parents with his, the regular calfing. So after that infection was, was diagnosed in 2017, they approved him for that preemptive kidney transplant. Let's pick the story up from there. Correct. He was approved. Then the next step was let's, let's see if we can get um, mom or dad approved um, for for a living donor. That was kind of the plan all along. Now, just to rewind, you know, a few years before that, my husband was, you know, we he would attend doctor's visits with me, and you know, he was about 240 pounds. He was overweight. He's 5'10". So he kind of was just like, yeah, well, you're not going to be the donor. So for from, from that two-year period until 2017, 2018, he worked his butt off. And I, and I can't even tell you how hard it is easy to gain weight, but not easy to lose weight, especially being his wife, would look at everything, it'd go in his mouth. 
but he worked so hard to, you know, to, to be at that marker level to um, be his donor. So he, he, he that marker. He was first in line to get tested. So we were both tested and we were both beautiful matches for Tanner. So that's kind of where we sat from 2018. Um, and they did, Cleveland Clinic decided that they, they chose Dane over me, just, you know, whatever the reason was there. He just was a, a better match. Right. And um, we kind of have sat there in this, this steady phase of preemptive transplant up until, you know, I kind of had a feeling when COVID came along, something was going to change. And, uh, and But we still complied with everything they ever asked of us. Um, even through just, COVID, you know. Just, just for the sake of understanding, because I have not, thankfully, gone through the process, and I don't wish the process on anyone, obviously, uh, but I hear dates like 2017 and 2018, and Dane lost the weight and made himself in, put himself into a healthy condition to be able to donate Absolutely. his kidney to, to your son. Um, so I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking, why wasn't this done in 2018? Why is it, wasn't it done in 2019? What's the delay process? Why, why, why did it get into COVID of early 2020? I would have thought it would have been done by now. Right. And what we were told, and, and we listened to our, you know, all the medical professionals is as long as Tanner's healthy, he's growing, he's meeting, he's meeting uh, milestone markers and he's not managing other health conditions. There's no need to, to take his native kidney. If he, if he's continuously growing on the, on, on that native kidney, let's continue down the path. Got it. And that's typical with posterior, you know, with, with CKD, PUV children, you know, they, they hit certain milestones and maybe hormones change, but, um, so that's the reason why we kind of stayed the path. We listened to what they, they told us to do. You know, at any point in time, had they said, yeah, it's, it's time. We, we were ready, but we were following so, the guide guidance of, of Cleveland Clinic. So, so Jen, what, 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 what changed and when did it change to the point where it was like, okay, the time is now. We've, we've got to do the transplant. See, most people who are, who are not familiar, and I'm one of them, think of a transplant as being an emergency situation. If somebody needs a transplanted organ, it's because their other one is failing and they're going to die if they don't get it very, very soon. Um, so obviously, as you described, that wasn't the case with Tanner in the early going, but apparently there was a decision was made, the time is now, and let's get this done. And take us there. Take us to when they said it's time to do this, and then when they said, sorry, we can't do this unless your husband complies with their COVID policies, and that means getting vaccinated. So tell me, take us through that. So Tanner has been in the study. I do want to clarify. He has been in the study, you know, study condition all along. Um, we we've not been in any any intimate danger to get the transplant however sorry about that Go ahead. october 2021 was was the letter we received um saying that both donor and living donor or i'm sorry recipient and living donor will need to to take the vaccination in order to to continue forward so what but our thought was well we've been in this system we've been down this road for five years why do you know? Why did this does this apply to us? So again, having having some time, I we called a meeting with Cleveland Clinic, and and uh, I was hoping to get you know meeting with those that made the decision. But we we did get the doctors, Tanner's doctor, the, the surgeon, and so forth. 
So, again, knowing we had some time, but I'm a planner. We're a planner. We need to make sure we have a plan A, a plan B, and plan C. So that's why I thought, well, this, you know, we thought for sure this won't apply to us. Uh, you know, regarding that letter, it was just a general letter that came out through email. Right. So we met with the doctors, and they they basically told us for for Dane, uh, we had many questions, and I can go over those questions with you. But they basically looked at us and said, "No, if he doesn't get vaccinated, because he could die because of COVID uh, on the operating table, you know, we're we're not going to do this." We're not going to move forward with keeping you as as his living donor. This is um, this is an incredible story, uh, and right, and, and especially considering the fact that this is a world renowned facility, medical facility, Cleveland absolutely. Clinic, um, yeah, that is that is and, completely. And the fact that go ahead. My husband had you know two weeks before this meeting, he actually was taking a test for colonoscopy and he had to take a COVID test and ended up testing positive for COVID. So we had to delay the meeting. Uh, then, so now we have a proof that he has had the illness. And um, so we thought for sure, Hey, he's got natural immunity. We can you know, scientifically prove this. And this but is verified. Matter. This is verified just to clarify for everyone by the, the supposed gold standard, the CDC, Rochelle Walensky declared that those with natural immunity pose less risk of spreading COVID-19 than the vaccinated. So your husband, who had the virus, has natural immunity. He's more protected than he would be if he had gotten one of those shots, and they still won't let him save your son's life. Right. Two questions I posed to them. The first one was, all right, if we're removing my husband as as the living donor that you've told us is his best outcome uh, to have the, the most viable kidney, for the longest period of time. Then he goes on a list of deceased donors. What if the deceased donor comes in and they're not on back, they're not vaccinated? And their answer to us was, well, we would take that unvaccinated deceased donor. How did they justify that? that? How how did they justify that? I can't imagine how fast your jaw must have dropped when you heard that. It wasn't even a jaw drop. It was a complete meltdown on my part. Um, I just started crying. Uh, we couldn't believe what we were hearing. There was, it was very nonsensical answer. Couldn't see their faces because they were in masks. Um, I, I just, it, it just was heartbreaking to know that my husband has done all of this work. Mm-hmm. And and my second question to them was, what if my husband suffers an adverse reaction from getting, you know, their required vaccination? Right. Are you going to be liable for his health conditions? Because he's he's you know he he's the one that works in the family. Well, and not even not even just the liability, but what if he suffers an adverse reaction that makes him right. sick, now, which many people have, uh, and have thus his kidney is compromised. Have, exactly, his kidney is compromised, and now I have a husband with medical conditions, whatever it may be, whether you know uh, myocarditis, the things that you're hearing of. Sure. And they said, well, you know, the only adverse reaction we've ever heard of is the sore arm maybe a fever 
When did they say this, Jen? When did they say this? Because literally this within was, the last month or so, the CDC has come out and been forced uh, to to reveal all of the possible adverse reactions of the virus. Exactly. Uh, excuse me, of the of the vaccine or the shots put out by Pfizer and Moderna, and there were over twelve thousand exactly. of them, ranging from sore mm-hmm. arm to stroke to palsy to blood clot to to um, uh, uh, myocarditis and and heart conditions to death. I mean, all of those right. things were, were listed after the fact as possibilities. Now they're saying yeah, he has to run November the risk of all of those of to 20. save your November of 2021? This is November 2021 when we had this meeting with them. Oh. Um, so we just feel like we're we're being discriminated against. We're being punished for, for not, you know... For, having our for your husband making his own medical decisions about his own health, uh, along with his exactly. doctor, right? Uh, they're they're forcing their policies on you, and your husband and your son both pay the price, and you pay the price. I, I said at the beginning, I can't imagine what it must be like to be the wife of a man trying to save her son, and to be a mother of a right. son that that isn't being allowed to be saved. I I, I my heart just melts for you. Um, so can you bring us current? We're talking with Jen Donaldson. If you just turned the radio on, uh, this is the story of her nine-year-old son, Tanner, uh, who has got stage five chronic kidney disease, is in need of a transplant. His father is going to donate his kidney. He is a perfect match. But the Cleveland Clinic doctors, completely ignoring science and the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm, refuse to let this transplant happen because dad isn't vaccinated with something he doesn't need. Bring us current, Jen. Where do things stand now? And are you looking in other facilities? Are you looking in other states, perhaps, to find somebody who will do this? Well, we've got a couple things moving. Yes, we are looking uh, at other hospitals. Uh, we're also um, trying to put pressure on Cleveland Clinic. And, you know, the reason for this interview and um, just trying to... We also have a little, little bit of legal push. Um, so... You know, and I really feel early on when I knew this may come down, I you know, had looked into, you know, what are our options? And, and early on, I was looking and supporting any type of legislation that would help our freedom. And um, I had sent testimonies to, um, to Columbus and testified written testimony for HB 248, which is the vaccine choice and anti-discrimination bill. And so I, I sent that legislation through or, you know, testimony through. I'm still push, you know, still actively trying to help in any way I can because that would prevent anyone in our situation from having to make these decisions. So we're, we're actively trying to just go all different directions that we can, a legal route, an ethical route, um, legislation route, and you put pressure on Cleveland Clinic just to do the right thing and and just have a conversation with us. We haven't even, since the meeting in November, there's not been one communication, you know, back and forth to say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Hey, we'll let you sign a waiver, you know, releasing us of any liability if you get COVID on the table. Um, and even Cleveland Clinic's own study back in, June of 20, June or July of 2021 shows that that um, natural immunity is not necessary to, to get a, a COVID shot. So 
all these things we're just trying to, to bring into light. And um, so, so let me know, make sure. Let me make sure I understand that last part. There has been no contact between your family and the hospital since November. So that's six months. No, other than Tanner has had two emergency room visits, both kidney related. He, he, you know, every two to three weeks, three to four weeks, he he'll have some sort of severe stomach ache. It's all kidney related. Right. We'll do a trip to the ER. Um, but no conversation with I, the hospital about his need for the transplant. Yes, the second time that, which is just a few weeks ago, none of his doctors reached out to see how he was doing the next day after the ER visit. So uh, what no, what is no. what is what is going to be your plan then? Are you going to reach back out to them, and if so, when? Um, well, we're trying to we're we're using our attorney um, to to do any type of uh, conversation. We are in the process of, of writing our religious exemption and getting that over to them. And um, because, as you may know, Bob, I don't, I don't know if you're aware or not, but they have accepted religious exemptions for employees, doctors, and nurses. So we, another route, we thought we would just go ahead and write our religious exemption and submit that to them. But, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of different ways that, that I that I want to put pressure on them and just continue to talk about it and you know again through legislation. Well, yeah, and, and and through you know I would imagine representation too, legal representation. Although I have to say, um, from the outside looking in, and I understand he was born in Cleveland Clinic and he's been a patient all of his young life. Tanner has uh, that you have an affinity for that hospital and with that hospital, but. Given the circumstances, I I, can't, I don't even know if I would want them near my son and my husband to do this now. I, I almost right. feel like it's time to find a different medical center. It's time to look in a different state if you have to and do what needs to be done. If they don't have, they're not willing to honor the Hippocratic Oath, which says do no harm. And what they are doing right now does great harm to your son uh, and potentially right. your, your your husband as well by not allowing this to happen to hand to happen quickly. Um, they're doing harm. I don't know if I would want doctors who put their Hippocratic Oath to the side in favor of yeah, the COVID, COVID tyranny policies. I, I, I just don't know if exactly I would even You're exactly right there. Them. But if, if we don't, if, since we have time, if we don't do the right thing, I feel like this is just going to continue, not with us, but also with others. Because, you know, yeah. we're, we've, we're in the Cleveland area where we're kind of bound. We're going to be using Cleveland Clinic at some point in time. Yes, there's other hospitals. But I just feel like it, this discriminatory action not just happening to us, it's others. I've had multiple, multiple people reach out to us and say, you know, can we band together? Can we do something? And, um, you know, I well, said, yeah, it, it, is, it is It is discriminatory, and I apologize for interrupting, but I'm out of time here, um, Jen. It is discriminatory, and it is very noble of you to want to try to work through this in on behalf of other people so they don't go through the same thing. I feel like those efforts might be fruitless because I think they don't care about other people. If they don't care about your son, they're not going to care about anybody's son, and trying to force them to isn't a great way to get medical care. Um, but what I am going to do is I just looked up uh, before you came on the air to see if we could do this, uh, trying to find Cleveland Clinic Ombudsman Office, which, of course, is patient advocates. And the best I could find was the Office of Patient Experience. And their phone number is 216-444-7500. 
And I want to encourage everybody within the sound of my voice and our voice to hear your story and tell the Cleveland Clinic to stop this madness and protect this child and allow this transplant to right. happen. Put their put their political uh, motivated politically motivated decisions on COVID vaccination <clears throat> mandates aside and do your job and save a child. That's what this is supposed to be about. So, two one six. Four 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 seventy five hundred. Let Cleveland Clinic hear it on Moss. That's what I'm asking my my audience to do. And as for you, Jen, and your family, and for Tanner and Dane, uh, prayers for you all. Uh, please, if you would, keep us posted on the Thank progress you. of this thing, so that we can hopefully see it through to a uh, to the positive conclusion we are all hoping for. All right. Thank you so much, Bob. I really appreciate your time Thank getting you for, the word out. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for sharing the story. God bless you and your family. It's 1131, Always Right Radio. We'll be right back. This hour of Always Right with Bob France is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and Floor King. The darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Well, that conversation went a little long. I, I, I listen. I want to apologize to anybody who's listening on our stream. You know, if you're listening by way of your phone or your desktop computer, your Alexa device, or whatever. Um, I was just talking to a listener in in uh, Nevada, in Las Vegas, actually, uh, who messaged me because I know her. Uh, and she said, I kept getting interrupted, the, the conversation with, uh, with Jen Donaldson, the mom. It kept getting, getting interrupted by an insurance commercial. And uh, she wanted to know if the show was on tape. And I said, no, it was live. And I think there may be some automation going on where some of the commercials... I blew... See, here's the problem. I blew past our commercial break. I just I didn't want to interrupt Jen and make her wait and come back. I wanted her to finish her story. And so I blew past the commercial break. So there's a chance that because of that, some of that stuff happens and you don't hear everything live. You do have some commercials that are automated that play on the streaming side of things. So all I can tell you is we will cut all commercials out for the replay on the podcast. So if you listen to the podcast, which you can get at WHK Radio after the show or uh, you uh, uh, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, you can hear that interview in its entirety where you won't miss a thing uh, because of any interruptions. Okay? So thank you for understanding that. Uh, let's go to Perry, and uh, let's welcome Bob to the program before we're done today. Hey, Bob, go right ahead, sir. Good morning, Bob. How you be? Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you just fine, Bob. Thanks. Okay, so first-time caller, long-time listener. I'm sure you've heard that before. And it's just very heart-wrenching to listen to that mother, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and her situation, along with her uh, boy and her husband, especially with the Cleveland Clinic, who's been, in my opinion, uh, a very reputable uh, hospital yeah. uh, in the greater Cleveland area and other areas. They're just not local. They've gobbled up, as in the case of UH and some other uh, hospital systems, you know, smaller hospitals, uh, they become bigger, better, supposedly, on that. But especially, and I stress this, especially with, uh, with the Cleveland Clinic coming out and saying that, hey, if you've had COVID-19, you've got natural immunity. There's no need 
to go through the motions as far as, uh, you know, the vaccination and booster shots. And even though my wife worked there, she's retired now, and even though we're still, what do you want to call it, patients of the Cleveland Clinic, I just shake my head sideways. My prayers will be with this mother. I want her to know that, and her husband, and especially her son, because life is precious no matter at what age or what level. And I really feel that to put the pressure on Cleveland Clinic, that more people like myself and others should just voice their opinions. And you know what hurts? What hurts, and I'm talking now about the clinic, is they don't need their reputation tarnished. They don't need bad bad publicity as far as I'm concerned. And, yes, there are other hospitals. What is UH's uh, position? What about Metro? And that's just in greater Cleveland, okay? And we can go a little bit farther. And go to a children's hospital in Akron. I don't know the one particular that. Now, they may be a subsidiary of Cleveland Clinic, but do what you got to do for your own. And I'm sorry yeah. I didn't, I, you know, I took up so much time. No, that's but okay. I understand. definitely going to be with her. Yeah, I understand her passion, and I, and I share it, and I know a lot of other people do, and I'm sure she appreciates if she's still listening that very point. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate the call, and I hope other facility t- facilities will step up, and they don't even have to wait for you know the Donaldson family to come. I hope anybody listening who knows anybody who works for or with university hospitals or any of the others, uh, reach out, please. I mean, seriously, uh, this family needs to have medical care, and the fact that Cleveland Clinic is refusing to provide it is a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. I would not trust my son in their care if I were Jen Donaldson and if I were Dane Donaldson. I just wouldn't. If they're willing to say, nope, your natural immunity, which we know as a hospital is better than the jab, is not politically correct enough, you need the jab, or we're not saving your kid. I wouldn't trust them in that care, in their in their care anyway. So hopefully people can reach out and uh, try to help in any way that they can. That's all the time that we have. Thank you to my guest today, Dr. Piper. Uh, Thanks to uh, Steve Cortez, and thanks to Jen Donaldson. Thanks to you for listening. Everyone have a great day. Let's go, Brand. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.